Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 43, and today we are talking about books released on March 1st, 2016. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow well redhead, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. What, what? Okay, enough about us. Let's talk about your hair. <laughs> it was all that unicorn talk last week. It got me all excited. You have my little pony mane. <laughs> it is very pink, and my hairstylist did use the term pinky purpley my little pony. <laughs> I'm obsessed with it. I, I saw your photos on Instagram and I was like, ah! Yeah, it's super pink. I'm really excited. It's supposed to like, you know, fade and settle after a couple washes into a couple different shades of pink. But right now it's just hot pink and it's great. It like glows in the dark. I was at yoga this morning and I, all the lights were off and I'm pretty sure that like everyone was just moving by the light given off by my hair. <laughs> it's like that stuff they drop in the ocean. You know, so that helicopters can spot you. It's amazing. <laughs> They're like, we'll just float a Shinsky out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe they'll name it after you. Well, I mean, I got a unicorn name, so I needed to go all the way. It's awesome. Why, thank you. Awesome. So, we want to talk about books now? I guess maybe we should I can talk still about talk books. about your hair some more. But... <laughs> we can save some of it. All right. Keep, we can do weekly updates on what shade of pink my hair is yeah, as we go. Yeah, give different names. Well... I did read some books. I know that's surprising, but I did. You um, and books? I know, right? It's crazy. Uh, the first one is called Don't Let My Baby Do Rodeo by Boris Fishman. I am already very interested. Wait, isn't that such a great title? <laughs> it's and, a very good title. And it's a, it has a really great meaning behind it, which I will get to. Um, it's about a couple named Alex and Maya. Um, Alex is the son of Russian immigrants. They came over to the U.S. In, when he was eight, and they kind of lived the American dream. They built a company up from nothing, and now they're very wealthy, and they have multiple homes and multiple cars, and they're very well off. And Maya uh, is a Ukrainian exchange student, or she was. She came over here for college, and she ended up getting married to Alex uh, after a very quick courtship. Um, and now they live in New Jersey. She's a medical worker, and he works for his father's import business. And they have a son named Max, who is eight years old. And one day, Max does not get off the bus. Maya goes to pick him up, and he doesn't get off the bus. And they don't know where he is. And so he, the thing about Max is that he is adopted, and he doesn't know that. And it's oh. a thing that plays a huge part in their family. Not just between Alex and Maya, but also uh, between Alex's parents and them. Um, Alex's parents are very old country. Uh, they They're like, oh, well... You know, he wouldn't go missing, um, you know, if, if he wasn't American. Like, if he had just adopted a Russian child, you know, this wouldn't have happened. This is a very American thing to adopt children. Um, they blamed their Alex and Maya's infertility on the fact that they lived in America. They said that adoption was just a normal American thing. So their bodies adapted to the oh, wow. normalcy of it. And so that's why they couldn't have children. Like, they're very, they're awful. Um, so, like I said, Max doesn't know that he's adopted. 
Um, and it turns out that he is from, uh, his birth parents are teenagers in Montana. Um, a teenage uh, girl and her boyfriend who worked in the rodeo. And the thing that that the girl said to Maya when she adopted Max was, don't let my baby do rodeo. Ah. Which is very cute. Um, so, turns out Max got on the bus and he went and, I'm not giving anything, like, surprising away. Um, they found him at a, at a river. He was down at a river. And while they were searching his room for clues as to where he could have gone before they discovered him at the river, they found all this grass under his bed with teeth marks. He's been eating grass. Oh. Um, and so Maya starts to wonder about, like, you know, have we failed our child? Like, where where is this coming from? Is this a Montana thing? Like, and she starts wondering about, like, what part of him is them and what part of him is genetics? Like, is this, does he need to be in wide open spaces? Like, where is this, where is this coming from? Um, and so they decided to take a road trip to Montana to find his birth parents and explain everything to him. And along the way, you know, the story is ultimately about Maya. It's about how she feels like she has failed as a woman because she couldn't have a baby. She feels like she has failed because this side of him is coming out that she has no control over. Um, she's never left New Jersey. She's only been there since she came to America. So she's getting to see, like, all of this country and all this wide open space. And she's starting to question her and, and Alex's relationship. Um, it's just, it's very funny, and it's very sweet, and it's very sad, and I just, I loved it. It's very, um, it kind of reminded me of The Family Fang by oh, Kevin I Wilson. The Family Fang, yeah. Yeah. Like, his writing reminded me a lot of Kevin Wilson. Um, it was just, it was wonderful. So, again, it's called Don't Let My Baby Do Rodeo by Boris Fishman. I'm going to have Mama Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Cowboys stuck in my head for the it's rest true. of the day. That works for most everything. It's true. Uh, that sounds great. Before uh, I do my first pick, we have our first sponsor this week. FabFitFun is back. By now, you have probably heard us talk about FabFitFun. It's a subscription box that has premium, full-sized fashion, beauty, fitness, and lifestyle products. The box comes out once each season. It retails for $49.99, but it always has a value over $200. And the current welcome box, which is what you'll get if you subscribe today, is worth over $300. If you want in, you go to FabFitFun.com and you can use the coupon code BOOKS to get $10 off your first box. So that means your first box is going to cost you $39.99 and it's going to have over $300 worth of value. That is almost 10 times the bang for your buck. They sent me one of these welcome boxes. I really loved it. They're, they live up to their promise to be about fashion, beauty, fitness, and lifestyle. Um, if you're trying to be healthy and look good and feel good and kind of have a well-rounded, happy life, they have lots of products that go to that goal. The welcome box includes a jump rope, you know, so get your cardio in. It has a goji berry anti-aging eye serum, which is valued at $88. And I don't know about you, but I am only getting an $88 eye serum through a fancy subscription box. I am never paying $88 for that thing on its own. Uh, there is a I'll Make You Amazing daily hairspray, which I have tried and it even worked on my curly hair, kind of kept things looking fresh if I wanted to, you know, skip the hair washing for a day. There are cool earbuds. There's a gift card to Shopteeks, which is an online sort of aggregator of boutiques and boutique products. You get $25 to spend there. You get a candle. You get a 14-karat gold and black sapphire necklace. Mine is a heart, um, and that's valued at $100. There's all sorts of stuff. Um, this is the third season that I've gotten a FabFitFun box from them for 
you know, talking about on the show. And every time I've been really pleasantly surprised. The boxes are beautiful. They're fun to open. They're packed with stuff. Uh, if you want to treat yourself or treat a woman in your life to a cool gift, it's hard to think of a, you know, better shot at finding something that they would like than giving them a box like this that has a whole bunch of things in it. And even if they don't like all the pieces, you paid $49.99 or in this case, $39.99 for a box that's valued at $300. They're going to like most of it. Um, it's really great. So if you want in on FabFitFun, you go to FabFitFun.com, use the coupon code BOOKS for $10 off your first box. That lets them know that you came from us so they can continue sponsoring the show and we can keep the lights on with good advertisers that are a great fit for our listeners. So thanks again to FabFitFun. Every time you, you do that ad spot, then I start applying the term full size to all kinds of things that I can think <laughs> of, like full size squirrels. Oh, and it's just, it's a fun game I like to play while you're reading As opposed the to sample-sized squirrels? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that would be so cute. I think those are chipmunks. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> oh. Classification of mammals today on all the books. <laughs> now you know what to get me for my birthday. We are a full-service podcast. Um <laughs> My first pick this week is this is maybe like the most Shinsky wheelhouse book that I've read in a while. It's called The Art of Risk by Kate Sukel. Uh, this is a look at the neuroscience and sort of social meaning of risk taking. And um, Sukel looks at redefining risk taking so that a risk in her working definition is any decision that we make that has a potential negative outcome. And then she dives into the science to find out what makes us more or less likely to take risks, what happens in our brain brains when we do take risks and how we make the decision in the first place to take a risk or to not take a risk. Um, I like to push myself and, you know, I think I'm relatively risk taker-y. So it was really interesting to read about um, what goes on neurologically and in, you know, with hormones and brain chemistry that might lead me to do that or that make it rewarding to take risks. Um, She talks about how teens, it's been shown, are more likely to over emphasize the possible rewards of risk-taking. It's not that they're stupid. It's that truly their brains are not all the way evolved and their brains release chemicals that make the possible reward of risky behavior seem so appealing that even if they know it has a large downside possibility, they can't see that evenly. Um, And there's really fascinating, for me, this was the most useful part of the book, information about how risk is required if we're trying to get better at a thing that we're doing that like if you're trying to become a better rock climber or you're trying to become a better coder or whatever it is you have to take risks and work around the edges of those things that if we stay at the and like it's intuitive right but now there's actual brain science that shows that uh, if you're trying to become a better rock climber and you just keep scaling the rock you've been climbing until you're really, really good at that, but you never go over to that next cliff that looks really hard or that's outside your ability and let yourself fail until you succeed on it, you don't improve. Um, And that felt true to me. It's certainly the way that I operate when I'm trying to get better at a thing. I was thinking about it at yoga of like, okay, if I never try this balance move or if I never try to take my hand off the floor, even though I'm going to tilt around like a windmill, I'm never going to get better at it. Um, Even though the downside there, the potential negative outcome is falling on my face, um, which I very nearly have done. Uh, So it was, it's really useful to me just in everyday sort of decision making and risk taking or not risk taking, thinking about how the science works and what my brain might be doing 
Uh, Kate Sukel's reporting here is really smart and it's very accessible. She previously wrote a book called This Is Your Brain on Sex that's about uh, the neuroscience and like body chemistry of sex and that's equally interesting and accessible. You don't have to be a sciencey person or be into science writing to understand it and to learn from it. I took away so many interesting tidbits from this book um, and it really did. Uh, it confirmed some of the things that I had that I had in my experience anecdotally with risk-taking, but it also gave me a new framework for understanding really what I'm doing when I decide to take a risk or decide not to and what my reasons are for doing that. Uh, so again, the book is The Art of Risk by Kate Sukel. It's K-A-Y-T-S-U-K-E-L. You saying that you're relatively risk-taking is like the understatement of 2016. Okay. <laughs> Says the woman who has jumped out of a plane and rappelled down the side and of skyscrapers. I have a 134 meter <laughs> bungee jump happening imminently. Yeah. No, that, that was, you're very risk taking. <laughs> but I'm not like base jumping without a parachute. Like there's always. That just something. sounds silly. <laughs> Like, well, why Sukal would you do that? <laughs> Sukal interviews a woman in the book who she and her husband were like the most professional, like high achievement base jumpers you could be. And he had an accident and died while doing it. And she continued base jumping and talks about why and what drives her to do that and what that level of risk is like. So That's I only, amazing. yeah, I only jump out of or off of things when I'm like connected either to another human or a safety apparatus or both. <laughs> <laughs> I don't leave my house. That's that's leaving the house for me is risky. <laughs> we gotta have balance among the well read heads. It's where the books are. It's true. And including this next book I'm going to talk about, it is The Passenger by Lisa Lutz. I'm very excited because I think that her book, uh, How to Start a Fire, was one of the first books that I talked about on our podcast um, that came out last year. And her name might sound familiar because she wrote The Spellman Files, which is a fabulous, funny detective series. Um, and again, this one is called The Passenger. And it's one of those books that I can't tell you too much about because it has all kinds of fabulous twists and turns. But it starts out with a woman named Tanya. She has found her husband, Frank, dead at the bottom of the stairs in their house. Um, she did not kill him. However... It turns out that Tanya isn't her real name, and she has kind of this secret past. So instead of going to the cops and being put under the microscope, uh, you know, did she do it? Did he get pushed? All this. She decides to flee. So she changes her name and takes off. And she ends up in Austin, where she meets a woman named Blue. And she's kind of living off the radar there um, until... It, off the radar, or under the radar. I, I'm, I think I'm mixing Both? up. I think I'm mixing up my metaphors. You can be um, under and <laughs> under the radar, off the grid. That's what I was going for. All right. Yes. Until uh, things things get a little sketchy, and it turns out that Blue also has a secret past, um, and they get mixed up together in each other's lives. Um, and so now she's changing names again as the book goes along. Like, after several chapters, she, like, has a new name and a new, you know, personality and a new name and a new location. Um, and in between the chapters, there are emails between these two people that kind of tell you things about what's going on and what possibly went on in her past. Um, it's just full of secrets. Full of secrets. But it's great fun. And she's such an amazing writer. Um, I think I've mentioned this before, but a lot of books are being hailed as the next Gone Girl and the next Girl on the Train. But... They're not, but this one is, is really well written and really interesting. It reminded me, I read um, What Remains of Me after you mm -hmm. read it last week, mm -hmm. and there's a, a 
side of it that is very similar to this. So if you enjoyed that, um, it's just great fun. So again, it is called The Passenger by Lisa Lutz. Woohoo! Um, my next pick is actually one of my favorite books of last year that came out, I think, before we had the show. And it's out in paperback this week. It's The Turner House by Angela Flournoy. I picked it up over the weekend to revisit it so that I could have accurate notes for the show. And I ended up rereading the whole thing. So it's Angela Flournoy's fault that I haven't finished the next two books that I'm going to talk <laughs> about because I got sucked back into The Turner House and had to read it all over again. Um, and totally worth it. It's wonderful. Uh, the book is about the, um, what is the last name of this family? It is the Turner. Yes. <laughs> so I was like, why isn't that in my notes? Oh, right. <laughs> it's the title of the book. Wow. That's where we are today. So uh, this is a family in Detroit uh, headed up by Francis and Viola Turner. They had 13 kids in their like three and a half bedroom house in Detroit. Uh, now the father Francis is dead and the mother Viola is ill and something has got to be done with the family home. They are upside down on the mortgage. They owe about $40,000, but the house is supposedly only worth 3000 because of how terrible the um, housing situation in certain parts of Detroit have become. And the oldest son, Cha-Cha, is in charge of figuring this out. So he is meeting with six of his siblings, uh, five of his siblings, to figure out what they're going to do with the house. And sort of everybody has their own ideas about how this should be played out. Um, complicating matters, Cha-Cha has been seeing a haint, um, basically a ghost or a demon or spirit spirit um, that he saw once when he was a child and it's it has started visiting him again. Um, it's causing stress. There's stress on his family anyway. And uh the young Chacha's the oldest in the family. The youngest sibling, Leela, was just evicted from her home and has a gambling addiction that she is trying to hide from her family. So sort of everybody's got complications. Plus, the mom is ill and they're trying to figure out this stuff with the house and people are scheming about how to get it back or how to sell it and make the most money. We get splashes throughout the narrative of uh, other siblings' lives. We get to see a, a pretty full picture of the family's history. And we get flashbacks to the mid-1940s when Francis and Viola were first married and moved to Detroit and how their life there became established, how they ended up having 13 kids, and what these uh, 13 now adult siblings' lives were like growing up. This is, at, like, at the base, it is a super compelling family saga. It's so good. Flournoy just nails family dynamics. Like, I have one sibling. I cannot imagine having 12 siblings. She makes it seem totally believable. The ways that their lives are intertwined with each other, the conflicts that they have, the secrets, the way they show up and support each other, the ways that they choose not to, what their marriages and their partnerships outside the family look like, and sort of how all those pieces play back together. There's also just a ton of Detroit history and a really nuanced look at housing discrimination and race in this urban, predominantly black area that sort of famously has had some of the most serious housing issues um, in the late 20th century, early 20th, 21st century in the U.S. But that's all it's all just woven in. It's the fabric of the story. Flournoy doesn't, you know, appear on the page and declare her facts about Detroit history. You just absorb it uh, as we see these characters lives. It's so good. I, the whole time I was like, oh, right. I remember why I loved this book so much the first time. 
This is just such solid literary fiction. It's beautifully written. The characters are fully realized and so interesting. And there's this big cast of them to manage. It's not an easy thing to do at all. And she just makes it look so effortless. It's kind of difficult to believe that this was someone's debut novel. I was just knocked out. Um, So that's The Turner House. It's out in paperback this week. It's by Angela Flournoy, F-L-O-U-R-N-O-Y. If you're looking for a good read over the weekend or a good book club book, this is, you know, can't miss. Go for it. Okay, so speaking of housing issues and eviction and books that we didn't finish, um, I didn't not finish the next book because of of Angela Flournoy. I have just been reading little bits of it because it is emotionally overwhelming. Um, It's called Evicted Poverty and Profit in the American City by Matthew Desmond. Um, he is an associate professor of sociology and social social science. It's hard to say fast. That is a mouthful. <laughs> at Harvard University. And he followed the stories of eight families in the poorest neighborhoods in Milwaukee um, and the two landlords that rent to them. Uh, he, he followed them for many, many years. And uh, one of them is a single mother with two little boys. Uh, one is a man on disability. He has no legs. Um, one is a nurse who's trying to get over a heroin addiction. Um, just these like people who are living these really hard lives. And he talks about how eviction used to be very rare, even in the poorest neighborhoods. And, but now, uh, most poor renting families spend more than half their income on housing and eviction is very common in the United States now, um, especially for single mothers, like the single mother that he follows after she pays the rent uh, off her income each month. She has $20 to feed herself and the two kids like each month. It's just it's horrifying. Um, and like I said, he studied these families for years and he uses the data that he acquired to explain like this vicious cycle of poverty and the economic exploitation going on in the country, like how it's not easy to get out from under poverty. Like it's not, you can't always live the American dream, you know, like, Oh, if you just work hard, you can do it. It's, it's, you know, there are systems in place to keep people down. Um, and it's about like what people do in the face of America's huge, continually growing economic inequality. Um, it's really just eye opening and heartbreaking. And like I said, I can only read like pieces of it at a time. Um, and he himself, Matthew Desmond said, you know, that he found the work heartbreaking and it left him depressed for years. Like he would, he would look at things and, uh, you know, add a monetary value to that, and in his head do the math, like how much rent that would pay. You know, like if he drank a bottle of wine, like how far, like one of the families would get with the money that he just spent on that wine. You know, um, it's just, it's amazing. It's, it's probably the most important book coming out this year. Definitely the one that everyone should read. Um, I don't think there's going to be any surprise ending when I get to it. It's mm-hmm. just, it's amazing. Uh, again, it's called Evicted Poverty and Profit in the American City by Matthew Desmond. Way to bring I'm, us down. Uh, I'm going to read that, but probably also very slowly. And weirdly, it segues to our next sponsor, and I will explain how. Okay. Um, Viceland, which we talked about last week, is Woo-hoo. back. This week, Viceland is a new TV channel from the people who make Vice, which is the you know website magazine that you are probably familiar with. It launches today, February 29th, as we are recording this. So when you are listening to this on March 1st, it will be live. Uh, so you can search online or search your cable provider for Viceland. They have a ton of shows. And we talked last week about Gaycation that's hosted by Ellen Page. Mm -hmm. Um, This week, I watched the first episode of Noisy, which is hosted by Zach Goldbaum. And he goes around the world talking to um, musical artists and looking at their communities and cultures that create 
the musical work that they do. And the first episode, uh, which premieres on Tuesday on March 1st at 10 p.m. on Viceland. So if you're listening, you can watch this episode. Uh, it's called Bompton. He goes to Compton uh, and he talks to rappers there, gangster rappers who are from the Bloods. And so they put a B before things. So they call Compton Bompton. Uh, and he is going back to look at right now how there's a resurgence in rap coming out of that community, particularly because that's where Kendrick Lamar is from and Kendrick Lamar is having such a moment. Um, and he really gets to see Goldbaum, you know, talks to Kendrick Lamar a whole lot, talks to him about, he's interviewed in the episode, he's on screen quite a bit, talking about how he chose not to become a gang member, not to go into that life, um, but raps about coming out of that community, but still has very many friends who are involved with it. We see them on screen as well. And they talk about the housing discrimination, the economic disadvantage, the poverty, the mass incarceration of young black men in urban areas, especially in Compton and how all of those things conspire to lead to violence, to lead to people who think that they can't have a shot at the American dream and what kind of music that gives rise to, how you can have such compelling, you know, really fun to listen to music, but that is about such deep issues and that comes out of such difficult experiences. Um, I watched it this morning while I was, you know, starting to work and I was like, this is, it's totally fascinating. Um, the show again is called Noisy. It premieres on March 1st at 10 p.m. and then it'll air Tuesdays at 10 p.m. After that, it's hosted by Zach Goldbaum and created by longtime Vice filmmaker Andy Capper. And that is just one of the things that you can watch on Viceland, which again launches today, February 29th. I'm excited for Flop House, too. Which one is that? That is the one that um, the filmmaker Lance Bangs uh, goes to the shared homes of up and coming young comedians and films oh, like their house parties and stand up shows that they do like in their living rooms and their garage. Um, I think it, it or let me see here it airs uh, Thursday, March 3rd at 1030 and then we'll be on at 1030 uh, Thursdays after that and it just looks really funny and who knows who you will see. Somebody so who will be huge someday. Or I'm maybe they'll all be that. huge. I don't know. Yeah. And you'll be like, I watched them on that thing. Yep. Yeah. Um, all right. So on to my next pick, which I have not finished, as I said. Uh, it's Welcome Thieves by Sean Bowden. Uh, this is out from Algonquin Books. It's a short story collection. There are 12 stories here. Bowden is the author of five young adult novels, but this is his adult fiction debut. And it is so adult, like not in a racy, you know, like sexy, dirty way, but in oh, that. Oh, you lost me. He, well. <laughs> We have a week without a sexy book, <laughs> uh, but in that he's looking at the absurdities and really like the ridiculous realities of adult life, uh, which you're listening to this show. I assume you are probably an adult. You can relate to some of these things. And he, you know, pulls out those little moments and blows them up to extremes in some cases. Uh, it's edgy and it's funny and it's weird. And you can tell that Bowdoin is both angry and bemused by what it is to be an adult. Um, I love this collection. Just the, sh the stories are wonderful, the ones that I've read so far, but I also appreciate that the stories are consistent lengths. It's not like five pages, 25 pages, here's a 90 page novella. 
Like just on a format note, I find it to be a really pleasing reading experience when stories are consistent links and you can sort of get into a flow or dip in and out really easily. Um, I have not read any of Bowden's young adult novels, but I'm definitely going to go back and try them out. Um, if that voice that he's bringing to the short stories holds over to the novels, I can't wait to spend some more time with him. And I'm going to be throwing this one in my backpack for my trip here pretty soon. Definitely finishing it, even though I didn't finish it in time for the show. So the collection again, is called Welcome Thieves. It's by Sean Bowden. Um, my last book, I just realized that like I started off strong with like a twisty murder book and some grass eating children. And now I'm just just depressing as hell. I just <laughs> um, the next the next and last book I'm going to talk about is called Black Apple by Joan Crate. Um, she is a Canadian author and poet and a little background on this. Um, in Canada, starting in the late 1800s, there were Indian residential schools opened. About 150,000 indigenous children attended residential schools right up until 1996. They were federal schools set up uh, prominent, or predominantly, I should say, by Christian churches. Is that the word I want? Predominantly? All of my words yeah. are not working mm-hmm. today. Your um, words are working. You got it. <laughs> they were set up by Christian churches to assimilate uh, indigenous children into dominant Canadian culture and kind of erase the influence of their families and culture. Well, that's like, not problematic at all. I know. Um, it's it's a dark spot in history. Uh, they, like I said, there were 150,000 children, about 30% of the population, who attended these schools, and over 6,000 children died while housed at these schools. And Black Apple is the imagined story of one of these children, a little girl named Rosemary. She is a Blackfoot girl. Uh, she's seven years old, and her name is actually Sunapaki, but they give all the children's Christian names, so all the kids are named, like, Ruth and Beth and Margaret and Grace. And so she's given the name of Rosemary, and she is... She takes it harder than most of the other kids being separated from her family and her people. Um, she fights all the time. She They're taught by nuns. It's like a school of nuns, and then there's a father who, who hears their confessions. Um, the nuns are not great. They're, they sort of resent the children, and a few of them are even abusive and beat the children. Um, they live in horrible conditions. The food is horrible. It's cold. They get sick all the time. Kids die. Um, and Rose is miserable, as, you know, like, all the children are miserable, but uh, she ends up having to stay year-round. Like, she's not even allowed to go home to her family during the summer. Um, and for a while, she has a really hard time. She's She sees these sort of visions when she's there. Um, she's scared a lot of the time. And it follows her story as she goes along through the years, staying at the school eventually. She settles into the routine. She begins to forget her language, um, her home language, and she becomes the favorite of Mother Grace, who runs the school. And then it kind of jumps ahead, and she's let back out into the world now. She's sent out, um, and she has no experience out in the world. You know, like, the people, she has, you know, it's still very hostile, sort of. There, A lot of the towns are very hostile um, to indigenous people, so she's just, like, dumped out into the world, this hor- horrible world. Um, and she doesn't know what she wants to do. Just she doesn't know if she wants to go back to the Blackfoot community. Um, and it's kind of like her her struggle with that. It's really hard, but, like, the language is amazing. It's so beautiful. You can tell that, that Joan Crate was a poet, is a poet. Um, it's The language is incredible. And it's, yeah, that's my depressing, <laughs> my depressing ending. But it's so good. It's, it's so good. Um, again, it's called Black Apple by Joan Crate. 
how many Kleenexes is this episode worth? Oh my goodness. Yeah, it was it is very sad, but I I did it's hard to say like I enjoyed it, but you know. Yeah, that's weird when it's like a tough book, but you're when yeah. it, when it, when you get something out of it. Yeah, it um, was incredible. My last pick this week is one that I'm going through slowly because it's satire and I am not super excellent at reading satire. So I just have to take it slowly. But it's wonderful. It's called Black Ass by A. Agoni Barrett. Uh, This is from Grey Wolf Press. And man, they just do such interesting things. Uh, It's set in contemporary Lagos. The main character is a young Nigerian man named Furo. And he wakes up one morning. He's getting ready to go to a job interview that day. And he finds that he has been like uh, Gregor Samsa transformed into a fly. He has been transformed into a white man like a ginger the whitest of white men with red hair green eyes and pale skin so he looks completely different but he is the same he has the same accent he has the same family and the same personality like the core of him is the same but he looks like a ginger white guy except his ass is still black Uh, so the title is literal Um, this is Kafka-esque obviously in its setup um, but it's a really satirical and smart look at race and identity and opportunity because of course Furo finds that the world opens up to him in very interesting ways when he is not a black man in Nigeria but a white man uh, and all of the privileges that that affords. Like I said, I'm typically not a very good reader of satire. I don't know why. Like It just feels like a lot of work to me to read satirical fiction and I often avoid it but Black Ass was such a compelling premise that I had to give it a shot and now I I'm in it. I just have to, I'm going slowly, I'm absorbing um, and trusting that like I read books, I can understand this thing. Um, But I think that's an experience we all have as readers sometime where you just like become convinced that you can't like you can't hack a certain book. You're just not a good enough reader to do it. So I'm going to hang because Black Ass is not difficult. Um, It's worth it. It's so smart. And I can't wait to see where it continues going. So uh, if you are interested in that adventure as well, the book is Black Ass, all one word by A. Igoni Barrett. I learned the hard way that you should not Google the title of that book without the author's <laughs> name attached, especially on your work computer. I was like, I heard about the book on, I think Grey Wolf tweeted about it, and I was like, oh yeah, I Google it because it's all one word. No, it doesn't matter that it's all one well, word. I was I like, mean, ah, 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 what is happening? Weirder things have been Googled on Riot New Media computers. Oh I my can goodness. guarantee it. I was like, how dumb can I be? <laughs> um, that wraps up our new books for the week. What are you going to go read now? Um, well, I'm going to cheat first, and I'm going to tell you that I just finished a book that came out last week that I did not have time to read when we were doing the podcast, but I loved it. It's called Peace of Mind by Michelle Adelman, and it's about a woman. She's 27, and she lives at home with her father. She has a traumatic brain injury um, that affected her frontal lobe. She was hit by a truck when she was three. Um, and so she has trouble relating to people. She has trouble um, keeping track of things, remembering, like, to turn off stoves, turn off faucets, put the cap back on the toothpaste. So she can't live alone, um, so she has to stay with somebody. But it's really, really funny. Um, she loves going to the zoo and drawing the animals. She has really funny interactions. It's really sweet. Um, I absolutely loved it. So I had to tell everyone because... It was, it was so good. Um, and next I'm going to read The Inseparables by Stuart Nadler, um, partly because I love Little Brown and the stuff that they publish, and partly because Alexander Chi was telling me that it was amazing. Um, and I lost the description that I had up of it. Oh, yeah. It's a keenly observed multi-generational novel about sex, marriage, shame, money, divorce, guilt, bad therapist, French food, death, and an old rooster. Here for that. All of it. Yeah. It sounds, it sounds hilarious. 
So what are you going to read? I'm going to read Girls and Sex by Peggy Orenstein. Um, she had a book out a few years ago, a few years ago called Cinderella Ate My Daughter. That was a look <laughs> at uh, like feminism and young girl culture and all of the marketing of femininity that is done. And, you know, essentially how much major brands have invested in enforcing traditional notions of femininity so that they can sell pink glittery princess stuff to little girls, but also all the ideology that comes behind pink glittery princess stuff and how it intersects with contemporary women's experiences. So this is a look at um, girls and sexuality, teen girls and girls that are growing up and where the conversation is going, where the conversation needs to go. Um, I, she often writes op-eds and is an interesting person to follow online. And like most culture writers, I don't agree with everything that she says, but I always find it to be an interesting read. So I'm going to pick that up this week. I think it comes out either later in March or sometime in April. Um, so I'm going to be reading that soon. Awesome. That's our show for today. Woohoo! We did it. Uh, thanks again to FabFitFun for sponsoring. You can go to FabFitFun.com and use the offer code BOOKS at checkout to save 10 bucks on your first book, or on your first book, on your first box, and <laughs> let them know that you came from listening to all the books. Thanks also to Viceland. Check out Viceland.com or the link in our show notes to find out where you can watch um, Noisy and Flop Flop House is flop that the Flop House and Gaycation and the other cool series that they have launching that will be live by the time you hear this because uh, it launches on February 29th. I am Rebecca Shinsky. You can find me at Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y on Twitter. Liberty is Miss Liberty. Drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. And if you've got a moment, we would so appreciate a rating or review on iTunes. It helps other book lovers to find their way to our show. And we are so, so appreciative of the fact that you have taken time to do that so far and of the very nice things that you have said in the review. So thanks a lot, listeners. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. So happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.